I don't know about you, I am a college football fan, especially a fan of the incredible University of Oklahoma football team. Yeah, amen. Well said. Stop your hating. Can anybody tell me what was the most embarrassing loss in OU football history? Uh, yeah, I don't think it was Boise State. That was awful. That was just terrible. I get shingles just looking at that. But, um, uh, but that was not the worst loss. I think the worst loss in OU history was the 1978 Orange Bowl. In 1978, OU was the best team in the nation. They were ranked number one. Uh, the Sooners were awesome. They were headed straight for the AP national title through the Orange Bowl. The main problem the Orange Bowl committee had that year was trying to find somebody to compete against OU in the Orange Bowl. They couldn't find anybody, so they chose lowly Arkansas. Um, Arkansas had much less talent. They were ranked far, far lower, but they did have a great coach, uh, Lou Holtz. Now, the Sooners were extremely confident, overconfident, it turns out. Uh, Barry Switzer, in fact, let his team stay up all night partying the night before the Orange Bowl. The Sooners then swaggered into the Orange Bowl, and they staggered out afterwards. Arkansas, the lowly Razorbacks handed OU their heads. They, quite frankly, stifled Oklahoma and destroyed their national title hopes. Now, fast forward. Coach Bob Stoops, the leader of the Sooners a generation later, was a very wise man who was willing to learn the lessons of history. Guess what film he had his team watch in December of 2001? He had them watch the 1978 Orange Bowl. Why? Because on January, New Year's Day, January 1, 2002, at the Cotton Bowl in Dallas, Oklahoma was playing Arkansas, and Coach Stoops wanted to make sure his team learned from the past. By the way, the Sooners beat the Razorbacks badly that day, held them to only 50 yards of offense, and won the Cotton Bowl, all God's people said. Um, sorry, uh, didn't know that came out. Uh, pride, pride goes before destruction. Such was true of Oklahoma, and it is true of every one of us, every one of us. Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction and an arrogant spirit before a fall. God graphically warns us about pride through Proverbs and through true stories. For example, God wants us to learn through the painful story of Rehoboam. He was the first king of Judah during the divided kingdom period. Uh, if we're willing to learn from, from King Rehoboam's swagger, you and I may not have to stagger through life with so many losses. Okay, take a look. This is where we are on our timeline. I'm showing you again this timeline because a history timeline can work like a, uh, like a grid or, or a clothes rack. It becomes a skeleton upon which you can, you can hang things so that you can access them. So there are eight periods. All you know are eight periods. If you get the eight periods of Old Testament history, every part of the Old Testament becomes understandable to you. There's eight periods. The first one is beginnings. Uh, beginnings is the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Answers all the why questions in life. <laughs> Every why question is answered in Genesis 1 through 11, beginnings. Uh, then the patriarchs period, Abraham and his offspring, uh, who took the family down into Egypt where they multiplied and prospered. Eventually, they went into slavery in Egypt. They were led out of that by Moses. That's the third time period. So we got beginnings, patriarchs, Exodus is Moses' third time period where he led them out of Egypt, out of slavery, across the Red Sea. And then the fourth period is Joshua leading them in the conquest as they began the conquest of the promised land. Fifth time period are the judges. Judges were these cycles of apostasy where there was, everything was great, and then the people sinned, and they cried out to the Lord in their sin because he brought them oppression as he promised because he loves them and doesn't want second best for them, then God provided a deliverer who brought them up. Seven cycles of such apostasy, that takes us to where we are today, the kingdom period. 
the kingdom period then uh, for the northern king, tribes of Israel that you'll learn about in a moment, that ended when they were conquered by Assyria. They were assimilated, never returned. The seventh period is for the southern kingdom of Judah, and that's the exile. Seventy years they were in exile in Babylon, and then the eighth period is their restoration back into the land. I want you to see these clothes that I've got up here on the floor. Um, I've got a bunch of clothes up here on the floor. These are the things I'm taking East Texas. I'm leaving right after the service to go teach today. Um, so these, if they just lie on the floor, it's like, it's like you college students. It's like your bedroom. If they just lie on the floor, it's kind of hard for me to get what I want when I need it. But if I will take a rack a basic grid, a timeline, and hang them up. Watch this, boys and girls. It's very simple. Very little effort required. You just hang them up, and then I can get what I need when I need it. I have access to them. If we're going to be like Coach Stoops and we're going to learn from the past, we need to have a, a basic outline of Old Testament history. It gives us a place to hang all the lessons that we're learning. Today, we are right here, just in the beginning, three reigns into the kingdom period. Uh, Solomon, the son of David, has, has died. And Solomon's son, Rehoboam, is poised to take over as the king of Israel. Now, with that contextual rack to hang it all on, let's mix our metaphors and step into God's film room, and uh, let's learn from the mistakes of our ancestors, shall we? Open your Bible to 2 Chronicles, just before Ezra, right after 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles chapter 10. Chapter 10, we're going to read all this chapter, we're going to read all about the life of Rehoboam. Chapter 10, verse 1. Then Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone to Shechem to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard about it, for he was in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon's presence, Jeroboam returned from Egypt. So they summoned him. Then Jeroboam and all Israel came and spoke to Rehoboam. Your father made our yoke difficult. Therefore, lighten your father's harsh service and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam replied, return to me in three days. So the people left. Then King Rehoboam consulted with the elders who had served his father Solomon when he was alive, asking, how do you advise me to respond to these people? They replied, if you'll be kind to these people and please them by, by speaking kind words to them, they will be your servants forever. But he rejected the advice of the elders who had advised him, and he consulted with the young men who'd grown up with him, the ones who served him. Think, um, it's, it's a wrong term, it's a, an, an anachronistic term, but think of courtiers, you know, the, the yes men that hang around a, a king, okay? The young men who's serving him. He asked them, what message do you advise we send back to these people who said to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who'd grown up with him told him, this is what you should say to the people who said to you, your father made our yoke heavy, but you make it lighter on us. This is what you should say to them. My little finger is thicker than my father's loins. Now, therefore, my father burdened you with a heavy yoke, but I'll add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, I with barbed whips. And by the way, that, the, the Hebrew there is really cool. It could be translated with scorpions, uh, which is just creepy. Um, the king did not listen to the people because this turn of events came from God, in order the Lord might carry out the word he had spoken through Ahijah the Shilonite to Jeroboam, son of Nebat. When all Israel saw the king had not listened to them, oh, did I skip one? I did. I'm so sorry. That's wonderful. Okay, Jeroboam, all the people came to Rehoboam, and the king ordered, saying, Return to me the third day. Then the king answered them harshly. King Rehoboam rejected the elders' advice, spoke to them according to the young men's advice, saying, My father made your yoke heavy, but I'll add to it. My father did me with whips, I with barbed whips, scorpions. The king did not listen to the people, came from God. Uh, when all Israel saw the king had not listened, and the people answered the king. Catch this. What portion do we have in David? We have no apportionate inheritance in the son of Jesse. Israel, each man to your tent. David, look after your own house now. Let's secede, Texas. It's time to go. Sorry. Uh, so, Israel, 
all went to their tents. But as for the Israelites living in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. Then King Rehoboam sent Hadoram, who was in charge of the forced labor, but the Israelites stoned him to death. However, King Rehoboam managed to get into his chariot and flee to Jerusalem. Israel is in rebellion against the house of David to this day. Uh, look inside your bulletin you got when you came in. You'll see in our notes there this sad account tells of Rehoboam's loss due to pride. And Rehoboam's pride negatively impacted more than just his own life. It also had a seriously detrimental effect on the entire community in the same way, boys and girls. Our pride has a detrimental effect not just on our own lives, but on all the people around us. Pride comes in a number of guises, easiest to spot are flat-out narcissism and egotism, but hubris is very sneaky, and we mustn't coddle masked pride in our lives. Uh, particularly popular in our age are these forms of masked pride. Uh, false humility is popular in our day, so is insecurity and grudges. And a big one in our time is the persecution complex, the repression inherent in the system. Um, that, that's a massive kind of pride that is very widespread in our thinking. My prayer is that getting to know Rehoboam, sitting at the feet of this king, is going to help me and help you get rid of our ridiculous pride. And that should position us to be real reformers of our life and maybe even of our times. All God's people said, amen. Verse 1, Rehoboam goes to Shechem. The crown prince chooses his coronation site out of a regard for antiquity. Please, please understand this. Rehoboam is not ignorant regarding the import and the impact of history. Rehoboam goes to Shechem because that is a very significant historical site in the earliest Israeli history. It was at Shechem that Abraham built his first altar to worship God. Joseph, when Joseph died in Egypt and they brought his bones back out of Egypt, they buried them at Shechem. It was at Shechem that, that Moses had the children of Israel recite the law. Remember this? Half the people on Mount Gerizim, half the people on Mount Ebal, and they recited the law back one of the great moments in all human history, like a sports crowd, Texas. Rangers. They're saying back and forth, they're reciting the law. It's just incredible. However, and this, this is fascinating, Shechem has not been important at all under the kingdom period. The, the first three kings, Saul, David, Solomon, they, they weren't connected with Shechem in any way. So, so Rehoboam's drawing from history, but get this, he's only drawing from ancient history, hundreds and hundreds of years before his time. Th this would be like an American president having his inauguration at Plymouth Rock instead of in Washington, D.C., Okay? It, it's odd. Oddly, representatives of all Israel are forced together at Shechem to crown Solomon's son, Rehoboam, the king of united Israel. But there's a problem. Solomon heavily taxed the country, heavily taxed the country to provide for his great works, including the, the temple in Jerusalem. And the northern tribes rather resent the influx of all their taxes to this faraway city in, in the southern area of Jerusalem, in the tribe of Judah. It's the same thing today. Suppose... Suppose you're running for U.S. Senate in Idaho, okay? And you know, you know that the high taxes in Idaho are very unpopular among the people, and the people especially resent that all that money has to go all the way to Washington, D.C., a whole continent away, right? So what is your campaign going to, every time, you can just predict, what's the campaign going to be? We send too much money to Washington, right? That's your campaign. Send me instead, uh, which is kind of funny. Uh, it's always going to be the case. So not any differently than today, the people are stirred up over their tax burden, and Jeroboam says, send me, I'll step up, and I'm going to demand relief. Rehoboam wisely asked for three days to think it over. Now, look at verses 6 and 7. Rehoboam asked the old guys for advice first. Again, here's his wisdom, seeking out the voice of, of history, and yet, 
this seemingly wise man becomes a wise guy, and he suddenly ignores the voices of history completely. Rehoboam rejects the words of the old guys and follows the voices of his young buddy, yes men. Why? Well, there's a lot of short-sighted pride involved here. The young advisors, look at your text, they stoke Rehoboam's ego, right? They especially key in on his somewhat understandable insecurity following his world-famous father, Solomon. And that kind of insecure, puffed-up pride always leads to loss. It was true for Israel. It is true in all of our lives as well. For for example, I want to show you a wonderful illustration put together by our drama team. Look, Look and listen. All right, so in closing, I just want to let you all know, Things appear to be going pretty well, if I can trust Bob over here, which I think I can. Um, it looks like we've got a good future coming up. So last but not least, hey, anything from our guys out in the plants? Well, there was a couple things. Yeah. I talked with Jerry on the plant, and he did give a few things he wanted to bring to your attention. Okay. They have not received a raise in well over a year. Just the guys in the plant, though. So well, the about? guys in the plant okay. have not received yeah. a raise in well over a year. So. Uh, some of the equipment is broken and it is dangerous. There are some upgrades that are going to be needed. Fair. Okay. All right. And uh, last, you know, the break room, it is in dire need of an update. The fridge, it only works about half the time. But they're only there about half the time. <laughs> well, the fridge only works about half the time. Okay. It does a few things in cold. Um, you know, it also says that microwave, it may be one of the first microwaves ever made. Water cooler, it does look like a forgotten fish tank. Okay. So there's some things that are kind of out of shape there. All right. Hey, I appreciate you letting me know. I will think about those. All right. Thanks. All right. In closing, uh, thanks everyone for being here. Hey, Jake, while you're out there in Detroit, be safe, brother. All right. Y'all take care. Thank you. Hey, Bob. Bob yes. Uh-huh. What do you really think about all that stuff Jerry was saying? Uh, that can't be cheap for us. Look, you are probably right, but not taking care of your people would be a cost far greater. But do the right thing here. Step up and fix this stuff, and it will pay dividends down the line in more business. Work with them. Show them that you care. So okay. It will pay off in the future. Okay. Uh, you know what? I will take that under advisement, Bob. I do appreciate the feedback. Wonderful. Thank you, man. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jamie. Hey. I could tell you had an opinion in there, so I really was interested in what you had to say. Listen, you actually need to work them harder. They're just whining and, quite frankly, trying to take advantage of you. You have to decide what kind of man you want to be, a mouse or a lion. Well, a lion, of course. And you know what? You're right. They should be grateful that they've got these jobs. They should be thanking me for these jobs. You know what? Mandatory Saturdays are back on the calendar. Good deal. Oh, and Jake wanted me to remind you, those nice little bonuses that we have been counting on are never going to happen if you give oh, in to all those demands. That's a really good, that's a really good point. Thank you. Absolutely, anytime. I'm ruined. Well, I heard Jerry got fed up because you put all that extra work on them and you did not meet any of their requests. He started his own company. And I'll tell you what, I just heard from our largest customer. And they're taking their business to Jerry. Uh, well, thank goodness, Bob, at least you stuck with me. Well, about that. Would you accept this as my resignation? <sighs> Jerry made me an offer I can't refuse for the future.
Well done, guys. By the way, that is not hypothetical. I worked with them on that script because that is exactly what I experienced. I once worked for a company uh, where that scenario unfolded. There was a new boss, a young boss, and he followed the young crowd's advice only to see three-quarters of his workforce leave and go work for a former foreman who started a rival company. And that's what occurred under Rehoboam. By the way, it seems likely that it wasn't just pride. Greed played a role in the king's choice as well. After all, no human government ever enjoys giving back money. Uh, that they see as theirs. Don't take my word for it. Elected officials said this just this last week. Uh, a, a guy I know, Keith Self, who's the Collin County, Texas judge, said this. Let's face it, lowering taxes is not typical in government circles. The norm for local governments is to raise taxes and expand their influence as far as it can reach. It reminds me of that old quote from John D. Rockefeller, who was the richest man in America in his day. When he was asked how much is enough, he answered, just a little more. For most governments, that's the answer, and it never changes. Close quote. So here's the result. The northern ten tribes split off from the southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, and it causes an entire regional power shift. The, the kingdom of Aram, uh, which later we'll know as Syria, becomes the, the big kid on the block. Rehoboam's pride has led to a major loss. Three quarters of his inheritance is gone. And that's not all. Um, there are these very unhappy little cell groups that had been held in check by King Solomon, and, and they're now encouraged to start terrorist raids and attacks all over Judah. They, they see this division as a sign of weakness that they intend to exploit. This represents a complete restructuring of the kingdom. Now, look at your text. According to the Bible, this was in God's plan. But that doesn't mean it was a joyful experience to go through, does it? Have you ever had your life restructured? Forcibly? You ever been laid off? Fired? Gone through a divorce? Been to jail? Had to, had to publicly apologize for something? Folks, are we ever the same after such experiences? No, we're not. Our life is reformed. It is restructured. Now, the Bible promises that such things are under the sovereign will of God, and in both history and in our individual lives, God's restructuring always seems to revolve around recognizing His perfect love and His absolute authority. Read with me, Exodus chapter 20, you take the underlined text. Exodus 20, starting in verse 1. Then God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods before me. No other gods before me. God restructures prideful lives, removing idols. Do you know why he does that? Because he loves us. He loves us too much to leave us in the slavery of idolatry. Many of us who have been through the, the pains associated with learning to recognize God's absolute authority will tell you that the restructuring that follows is very good, but it doesn't feel good. We're just being honest here. It doesn't always feel good. The point is to learn from it, right? And believe it or not, Rehoboam does. This is astonishing. Uh, go, to, go to chapter 11, 2 Chronicles chapter 11. Let's read verses 1 through 4, very next chapter. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mobilized the house of Judah and Benjamin, 180,000 choice warriors, to fight against Israel to restore the reign to Rehoboam. But the word of the Lord came to Shemiah, the man of God, saying, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Israel and Judah in Benjamin and to the rest of the people. This is what the Lord God says. You are not to march up and fight against your brothers. Each of you must return home, for the, this incident has come from me. So they listened to what the Lord said and turned back 
from going against Jeroboam. As we headline on the right side of your notes, here we see Rehoboam's success through obedience. Chapter 11 depicts success for the king of Judah. Here's Rehoboam's first big victory. He actually listened to godly advice. Setting aside his pride, Rehoboam cut his losses. He does not go into a big battle to try and get back the tribes he lost. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm reading this, and to me, this is the oddest thing in the entire narrative. Because in my experience, in, in my experience, when someone has been really embarrassed like this, they always jump up ready to fight. Almost never does that person keep their cool and listen to reason. This was one of the hardest things to get across when I was coaching young men. One of my wrestlers would be out on the mat, and he would make a dumb move. He'd make a mistake, and, and he would painfully pay for that. His opponent would make him pay. When he got his equilibrium back, he would almost always overreact. Right, Gilbert? You've seen that. He would overreact and try to make up for what he'd lost, in which case he would usually get pinned. That's what people do. Given what we know of Rehoboam's pride, you would not expect him to be smart enough to keep his cool after an embarrassing loss, and yet he does. In fact, in fact, he humbly goes about the work of making the best of things. Rather than attack in anger, you know what Rehoboam does? He sets himself to develop what God has left to him. We don't have time to read it, but when you study it on your own, verses 5 through 12 describe all of these cities that Rehoboam strengthened and, and supplied in order to keep his country safe from those newly aroused terrorist groups all around him. Think of, think of uh, these fortified cities as kind of an early TSA. They were on major trade routes, and they were to block terrorists from, from getting through. And people are drawn to this wisdom. They're drawn to Rehoboam because he starts serving humbly according to God's word. Go, go to verse 13. Go down to verse 13 in chapter 11. The priests and Levites from all their regions throughout Israel took their stand with Rehoboam. For the Levites left their pasture lands and their possessions. This is huge. These people are leaving all of their possessions behind. They're leaving their livelihood behind because they want to do what's right. They left their pasture and possessions, went down to Judah and Jerusalem because Jeroboam and his sons refused to let them serve as priests of Yahweh. Now down to verse 17. So they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and supported Rehoboam, son of Solomon, for three years because they walked in the way of David and Solomon for three years. All the good guys are fleeing Jeroboam's idolatry in the north. All these humble, holy Levites and priests and common folk are coming south, and they're making Judah strong. Rehoboam now sees a, another aspect of, of reformation, of restructuring, the positive restructuring of his kingdom. This is really fun. Back in the 20th century, a guy named Jeff Hanna captured, I think captured this kind of successful restructuring really beautifully. Uh, he had a band called the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. Is anybody here old enough to remember the Nitty Gritty Dirt Oh, okay, all right, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. He wrote a song called Bless the Broken Road, and, um, and Rascal Flatts uh, made a huge hit of it a number of years later. But here's, here's the lyrics. I think about the years I spent just passing through. I'd like to have that time I lost and give it back to you. But you just smile and take my hand. You've been there. You understand. It's all part of a grander plan that is coming true. Now I'm just rolling home into my lover's arms. This much I know is true, that God blessed the broken road that led me straight to you. That's Rehoboam's song, and I pray it's ours as well. Now, I wanted to end the sermon right there um, because it's such a positive note. But I was afraid you would go home and do what you do, which is study the whole thing and read it and then say, hey, it didn't end that happily, so I have some bad news. Um, Rehoboam's success through obedience didn't last. Did you notice, did anybody catch in verse 17 the little three-year comment there? 
Yeah, for three years, things were great. He was humble. Here's what went down after those three years. Go Go to chapter 12, if you would. Chapter 12, let's read verses 1 through 4. When Rehoboam had established his sovereignty and royal power, he abandoned the law of the Lord, he and all Israel with him. Because they were unfaithful to the Lord, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam, Shishak, king of Egypt, went to war against Jerusalem with 1,200 chariots, 60,000 cavalrymen, countless people who came with him from Egypt, Libyans, Sukim, and Cushites. He captured the fortified cities of Judah, came as far as Jerusalem. Chapter 12 describes Rehoboam's second loss. This is his second loss due to prideful disobedience. It would seem that once Rehoboam got strong from his humble success, he neglected the Lord. Now, here's some pertinent background for you to understand the context of this. Uh, 400-something years earlier, God said this through Moses. Deuteronomy 17. When you come to the land your Lord God has given you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I'll set a king over me like all the nations around me. He, the king, shall not Acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. Well, that's exactly what Rehoboam did. Uh, The end of chapter 11 describes a whole passel of wives. So Rehoboam gets prideful again, and he ignores God's word. Thus, surprise, more loss. Here's how the loss went down. Pharaoh Shishak of Egypt, uh, also known, by the way, he's known in a lot of sources as Shoshank, uh, Shoshank, he was growing in power. In fact, Shoshank, uh, Shishak had, had recently completed a peace treaty with Jeroboam, Jeroboam, the breakaway king of the northern tribes of Israel. In fact, Jeroboam had hidden out in Shishak's court way back when Solomon had put a terrorism price on, on Jeroboam's head. I guess you could call that Jeroboam's Shawshank redemption. Um, anyway... Rehoboam's resurgent pride coincided with this call by Jeroboam of Israel. He called for his buddy Shishak to invade Judah, and Shishak complied, and he loosed a huge force upon Judah. He came up through Philistia, which allowed him to skirt those cities that uh, Rehoboam had reinforced, and then he split his army into two parts. One went down here and ravaged the Negev and the south. The other went north and attacked, uh, got as far as Gibeon, which was a, a, a suburb of Jerusalem. When he got there, he received a lot of tribute from Rehoboam. He said, I won't sack Jerusalem. I won't take over your country. Just give me, and he gave him a lot of money. And then, somewhat inexplicably, what Shishak did was turn his army north and attack his ally, Jeroboam. And he attacked up here and just went through a few parts of Israel, but he especially took over Megiddo, the strongest city in the north. It became an Egyptian stronghold for, for a long, long time. Now, there's two really weird things about this attack. First, you've broken their country. Why not just conquer Judah? Why be content with just tribute? And secondly, why turn on his ally, Jeroboam, and attack Israel? Here's why. Go to verse 6 in your text. Chapter 12, verse 6. So the leaders of Israel and the king, talking about Rehoboam, humbled themselves and said, Yahweh is righteous. When the Lord saw they had humbled themselves, the Lord's message came to Shemaiah. They've humbled themselves. I will not destroy them, but will grant them a little deliverance. My wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. However, they will become his servants so that they may recognize the difference between serving me and serving the kingdoms of other lands. Verse 9. So King Shishak of Egypt went to war against Jerusalem. He seized the treasures of the Lord's temple, the treasuries of the royal palace. He took everything. He took the gold shields that Solomon had made. Down to verse 12. When Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger turned away from him. And he did not destroy him completely. Besides that, conditions were good in Judah. 
God wants you and me to learn from the past and see his power. Otherwise, we lose great and good things. Thankfully, it is never too late to start turning back to God. This unbeatable army of Shishak turned aside for one reason, one reason only, because Rehoboam humbled himself again. Look, look at the beautiful prayer in verse 6. Yahweh is righteous. That is a penitent confession that God is right. And I think you know that's always the first step in becoming healthy. This is saying, I, I deserve this. We, we had this coming and we accept it. In the Maasai tribe of West Africa, they have no simple phrase to say, uh, I'm sorry, particularly when, when, when the person is sorry because of a really prideful moment. But they do have a practice that I think is really remarkable. Here's what the Maasai do. When somebody has been guilty of prideful disobedience, they call their family together, particularly they call their brothers together and their cousins. And the person who has been wrong gets on his knees and he bows down and he says, my forehead is in the dust. Isn't that great? My forehead is in the dust. That's what's happening here. Rehoboam and these formerly proud princes of his household are bowing down to Yahweh and saying, my forehead is in the dust. Really intriguing word choices made by the Holy Spirit and the chronicler. Uh, humbled, what we translate humbled is a form of kana, uh, a Hebrew verb. Kana means literally to, to bow the knee, but there's a whole lot more in its use. L listen to this. Kana implies that a repentance has occurred. What it means is this person has, has had a battle in which he or she has vanquished himself. He's vanquished his previous impulses. He has changed his mind about his relationship, especially, this is always part of Kana, changed his mind about his relationship to the proper authority. Because Rehoboam repents and bows his knee, God is once again giving this undeserving king success. In fact, you saw in verse 12, conditions for the people are surprisingly good. Now, Keep reading, you come to the Chronicler's conclusion about Rehoboam. Let's, let's wrap our study with uh, 2 Chronicles 12, 13 through 14. Verse 13, King Rehoboam established his royal power in Jerusalem. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen from all the tribes of Israel to put his name. Rehoboam's mother's name was Naamah the Ammonite. Rehoboam did what was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. Here are some long-term lessons from Rehoboam. First, his source of strength is what, everybody? Himself. He doesn't usually listen to wise counsel. He doesn't usually listen to the Lord's Word unless he's cornered. And, and of course, we look at that and we say in response, thank goodness we're not like that, right? Thank goodness we're, we always listen to wise counsel. We always humbly listen to God's Word. But we don't. We also resemble Rehoboam's second trait. His style of leadership is summarized. This is subtle but brilliant. It's summarized by, summarized by a word change. The chronicler uses a different word than he uses for good kings. For good kings in Chronicles, when you read it, you'll notice that he says he served. But for Rehoboam, he says he reigned. Somebody tell me. Why would the chronicler record that someone reigned versus served? What's the difference between reigning versus serving? Somebody tell me. What's it? Raise your hand. M Mike, what do you, what's the difference between reigning and serving? That's right. Reigning, you're in the spot. Serving, you're giving out. It has to do with how you... They're both about power. I mean, it, servant leadership is about power. That's not a problem, but it is power focused on blessing others rather than power focused on me, a self-serving, self-focused person. How would you rather be known? How are you going to be known? 
end of your life, is your family going to say this was someone who served or someone who reigned? It's your choice. That takes us to Rehoboam's third trait. The spotlight for him is usually on himself. Trying desperately to get out from under his dad's shadow, Rehoboam practices self-aggrandizement. He's only humble when preservation demands it. Um, Dr. Michael Svigel of Dallas Seminary put this idea very nicely. Uh, he tweeted just last week, he said, God wants us to walk in the light, not in the spotlight, close quote. This study of Rehoboam also teaches us, look in your notes, some long-term lessons about God. First, God is serious about prideful sin. Look at the conclusion in verse 14. Rehoboam did what was evil because he did not determine in his heart to seek the Lord. Rehoboam's prideful, humble, prideful, humble back and forth game does not earn him a passing grade. According to the word of God in Chronicles, you either seek God or you forsake him. There is no in between. I find myself greatly convicted by this truth because too often in my life, I'll confess to you, too often in my life, I haven't taken God seriously enough. I've instead been wrapped up in my prideful self, and God loves me too much not to be very concerned about that kind of evil. He calls it evil, and it is. Of course, that truth is matched by another lesson about Yahweh we learned from Rehoboam, and that is that God is ever desirous to accept the humble. It doesn't matter how deep and long the person's prideful forsaking. God shows affection for Rehoboam every time the man turns back to him. The chronicler has given us a really powerful theme here. You, you are not able to run so far that God cannot make up the distance. I was discussing that with a friend of mine. I used that sentence. I said, you're not able to run so far God can't make up the distance. And she said this in response. She said, both this truth and God's seriousness about sin are evident in the life and times of Jonah, Wayne. She said, you can never run so far that a giant fish cannot take you whole and spit you out three days later where God wants you to be. We can do it the hard way, that's Rehoboam and Jonah's way, or the easy way, it's our choice, close quote. God's given each of us a choice. There are very likely those of us here who don't know the Lord Jesus as Savior. In your pride... You have rejected the sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf. Some of us here are Christians, but let's be honest. A summary of our life would read a whole lot like Rehoboam, rebellious and prideful because our source of strength is self. But listen, listen, whatever your past up to this day, your present and your future can be successful right now. Humble yourself before the Lord who is very serious about sin and who also desires a right relationship with you. So let's apply this personally. Our notes direct me to consider long-term lessons for myself. Friends, if we're going to win instead of facing loss, these are the steps to take. Here's what I need to enjoy positive reformation, positive restructuring of my life. Number one, cut my losses. We need to cut out the pride that leads to loss in the first place. And when I do act foolishly, I need to humble myself immediately and seek restoration instead of doubling down on my rebellion. That takes us to lesson two, succeed through humble obedience. Surely, surely we can at least do as well as Rehoboam. God positively restructured Rehoboam's life and kingdom when he was obedient. The same opportunity awaits us. That requires that we practice the third lesson, seek God. You saw it in verse 14. Let's exceed Rehoboam. He, he never really sought the Lord, although he did have some success. Let's do more. Let, let's seek God. Martin McDonald of our pulpit team did a little work for me in, in the Hebrew for this lesson, and, and he learned this about dirash. Uh, dirash is the word we translate seek. This is really, really fascinating. Um, he says, Martin writes, the semantic range of dirash in this instance includes, and normally, 
Almost every time when you're, when you're determining what words mean in the text, you, you, the context tells you that one of them is the right answer. This is one of those rare contexts where actually it's a little bit of all the above. It's not a cop-out. That's how it's written. So look at what dirosh means. It means, number one, consulting with or inquiring of the Lord. You want to seek God? You've got to talk to God for guidance. Number two, it means you visit with the Lord for, for fellowship. You spend time with Him. Number three, you learn from the Lord. You, you, you learn from Him. You follow Him. You emulate Him. And number four, you express love or appreciation for God. You praise Him. You worship. And, and Martin closes by saying, this sounds like what any father would want for and from his child. Close quote. Please notice the standard of judgment for Rehoboam was not based on a moral code. His problem was a lack of seeking God, of fostering growth in his relationship with the Lord. It's interesting to contrast this with David. Uh, David, who was praised and blessed by the Lord because he was a man who continually sought the Lord. Speaking of David, Randall Satchel, uh, one of our elders, wrote me this when he looked at this message. He said, this message reminds me of Psalm 9, which was written by Rehoboam's grandfather, David. Everybody stand, if you would, please. Stand up, and let's recite verse 10 of that psalm altogether. Verse 10 of Psalm 9, David said this which we need to learn, everybody together, and those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Let's all continue standing and sing together unto the Lord. Let's praise Him.
Kana, bow the knee. Repentance, battle thought internally by God's grace according to His Spirit. I think we should um, continue in worship by bowing the knee right now. But let's do this. If, you, um, if you'd like, you can certainly just bow spiritually where you are. That's fine. I find for me, when I act physically, it, it seems to reinforce the spiritual. So I encourage you to kneel where you're at. Or I'd love this. Come up here and join me. There's lots of room up here. And we're going to bow the knee, kana, and we're going to spend some time fellowshipping with the Lord, talking to Him, being humble before Him. So prepare yourselves. If you come join me, bow, and let's get ready, and I'll lead us in prayer. before you for an evaluation of our hearts. Search us and know us, God. Reveal our shallow source of strength, our leadership style of ruling and reigning instead of serving, our spotlight on ourselves. Lord, we pray for those who don't know your grace. Remind them that you are ever desirous of having them in your family, protected spiritually forever in your love. Friend, listen. Jesus died on the cross to take the place for you, paying for your sin because God must judge sin. He's holy. But he desires you. You, you merely need to believe in Jesus to receive him as your Savior. Respond right now to him. Trust Jesus. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, we need your help. We need to humble ourselves and accept your reforming success. And from your text, we, we see some specific steps to take. To take. Please, please help us. Help me boldly take these steps to cut my losses when I'm wrong. Lord, help us to repent and seek you. And Lord, we pray that we will find success via humble obedience by surrendering all. All God's people said, Amen. Let's continue worshiping the Lord. <laughs> 